0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll begin reading In Jeremiah chapter 8 this morning, verse 13, and we'll proceed through into chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, as is my custom. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 13, I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaves shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves, and let us enter the fortified cities, and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence, and given us water of gall to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and there was trouble. The snorting of his horses was heard from Dan. The whole land trembled at the sound of the neighing of his strong ones. For they have come and devoured the land and all that is in it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I will send serpents among you, vipers which cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, says the Lord. I would comfort myself in sorrow. My heart is faint in me. Listen, the voice The cry of the daughter of my people from a far country. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is not her king in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images with foreign idols? The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people I am hurt. I am mourning. Astonishment has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had the wilderness a lodging place for travelers, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and like their Bo, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor, and do not trust any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and try them. For how shall I deal with the daughter of my people? Their tongue is an arrow shot out, it speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in his heart he lies in wait. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? I will take up a weeping and wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation, because they are burned up so that no one can pass through. Nor can man hear the voice of the cattle, both the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. They are gone. I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a den of jackals. I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. Who is the wise man whom may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare, Why does the land perish and burn up like a wilderness, so that no one can pass through? And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I have set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked according to it. But they have walked according to the dictates of their own hearts, and after the Baals, which their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood, and give them water of gall to drink. I will scatter them also among the Gentiles, whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them until I have consumed them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider and call for the mourning women, that they may come and send for skillful, wailing women, that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us, that our eyes may run with tears, and our eyelids gush with water. For a voice of wailing is heard from Zion, how we are plundered. We are greatly ashamed because we have forsaken the land, because we have been cast out of our dwellings. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O oh women. Let your ear receive the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing, and everyone, her neighbor, a lamentation, for death has come through our windows, has entered our palaces to kill off the children outside and the young men on the streets. Speak, thus says the Lord. Even the carcasses of men shall fall as refuse on the open field, like cuttings after the harvest, and no one shall gather them. Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, For in these I delight, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised with the uncircumcised, Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners, who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. This morning, we are going to be finishing up a section here that really began back in chapter 7. Uh, It is one of the complaints of God against Israel that we have uh, looked at last week um, and is stretching off into chapter 9 that we're going to attempt to get to this week. And that is the fact of the loss of truth in the land of Israel, of Judah particularly. Um, And so that was his complaint there, that they do not obey the voice of the Lord, they do not receive correction, and they perish I'm sorry, the truth has perished from their mouths, that is no longer found there. And so we are going to see this interaction between, uh, again, as we have seen in the past, between Jeremiah, the word of the Lord given to him that he is to pass on to Judah, uh, and then his response to the Lord, and then God responding to Jeremiah on a very personal level, and then Jeremiah responding on a personal level to the people of the land. And so we have a lot of interaction. Uh, this is not just a, a benign or a, uh, uh, impersonal, um, circumstance. This is a conversation between three parties of people that, uh, have much at stake. We find the Lord, um, using the prophet, the prophet having to deliver that word to his people. Um, coming back to the Lord with weeping and wailing, and then coming to his people, uh, with, uh, a level of anger, but that anger is, is, uh, thoroughly mixed with, uh, disappointment and sadness over what is, uh, transpiring and about to transpire, and their condition and their lostness. And so we're gonna find this interaction heavily engaged. In fact, we have a struggle sometimes of figuring out who's the speaker of each verse uh, on occasion. It gets, uh, who is the I? Is it I, Jeremiah? I, the Lord? Um, and uh, obviously, when we start talking about the uh, first person, plural, Jeremiah has placed himself in association with his people, um, that he is not... Uh, distant from them but he is more intimate with them really that he can associate himself with the lord and so he's going to say we 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 need to do these things And we're going to see that here in our passage um, but we're going to have this engagement but all of this is built upon and is bookended back in chapter 7 verse 38 all the way through chapter 9 um even to the very, towards the very uh, last few verses there of chapter 9, and hence the need to read all of that in our Bible reading this morning, um, is bookended by the idea of they have disassociated themselves from the truth. And we're going to see what happens when a society disconnects itself from the truth of God, what happens socially between men, Uh, Once there is no absolute truth with God, well, now is there ever truth between neighbors, between members of society, within your court system, within your political realm? Where does truth go once you undermine the truth? And that is going to be played out here. And uh, the phrase that we're going to keep coming up against and the, the manner in which it's going to be talked about is uh as as Jeremiah keeps referring to the daughter of my people, the daughters of Israel and we're going to make some attention there and again this is in keeping with what we saw as some of the problem that the problems were derived um, not singularly and not without permission from, the husbands, but where the wives were engaging themselves completely in some horrific adultery, worshipping the Queen of Heaven. And we have seen that, and we've looked at that, and now we're going to see the ramifications of that falling upon the lives of the daughters of Israel, the daughters of Judah. And uh, we're going to find that term in these... Uh, passages uh, used extensively and then we're going to conclude this just kind of how we started we started with kind of the women being involved in worshiping the queen of heaven back there in the early part of chapter seven and we're going to conclude that with some instructions that you're going to go out there and find wailing women and mourning women because that's all there's left for you is just to cry Um, because as we're going to see in the chapters to come Um, When we get into chapters 10 and 11, there's going to be such a hopelessness for their cause that uh, Jeremiah himself is told not to even pray for them anymore. They've become that steeped in their sin, that invested in their idolatry, that disconnected from the truth, that even when someone comes with the very voice of the Lord and declares truth, they reject it and think it has no meaning to them. What is the circumstance of a society in that condition? And that's really what's being handled here in our passage this morning. Before we go, uh, go into that, let's go, to Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for opportunity again to look in your word. We thank you for its power and its truth. And we know that that power is only effectual if we allow that truth to penetrate our minds and our hearts to melt us. We thank you that your spirit has promised to do his part and it is now for us to listen, to lay hold of it and to allow it to deliver us, to change us, to make us more and more like your son Jesus Christ. And we pray that that work that no man can do and yet your spirit through your word can do in us today. Might be affected because we are willing. And Lord, where we are haughty and prideful and think we have no use for this, break us that we might realize that we need Your Word in our lives to hear it at every opportunity that is afforded. That we might be saved. We pray, says in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we really left off last week in the middle of this uh, developed uh, discourse over the circumstances of Israel and her relationship to the truth. We saw really uh, a repetition of something that we had seen in the past where we find that there is a false pen of the scribe in verse 8. We find that the wise men are ashamed uh, because they've rejected the word of the Lord, so they have no wisdom. In verse 9, uh, we are, we find the results of that. Um, we find that covetousness has gripped it so that people are buying and selling lies. And that's what's really going on. They're buying and selling, trading, and the commerce of lies is really what becomes. And so people are willing to pay, and what they're willing to pay people to do is to give them the message that they want to hear. They want to hear peace, 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 and so these guys say, well, if you pay me, I'll give you that message that they full of covetousness are willing to tell the people there's peace when there is no peace, that they are okay when they should be ashamed, when they are they're telling them they are established when they are in fact in the midst of falling and in fact are fallen. And again, in verse eleven, we have that they have healed the they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. That is, they have done it superficially. They have done it just on scratch. They have just glossed it over. That there is really a, a painful uh, disease there that is destroying them, and all you have done is just glossed it over. You have just put a band-aid on something that requires major surgery. You've tried to just put a mud over a wound and make it disappear from sight, but not the reality of it. In fact, by doing so, you've actually made it worse because you have now filled that wound with the disease and the, the germs and the uh, nonsense that's in the mud. And so you have given this superficial uh, message that's a lie to people who are in general in 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 great pain in great need, and so God says he's going to consume them. We pick up in verse thirteen now that there is going to be a destruction that in this condition that uh God must come and do what he has done, and he his statement his, is that I will consume them. Um, I will remove them from the place. And, and we saw this, uh, again, used before. Uh, and we don't need to go into it too much this morning. Uh, the whole idea is going to harvest them fully. He's going to take every grape, every fig. He's going to harvest it not once. He's not going to leave anything back for the gleaners. He's going to clean it out and he's going to harvest it multiple times uh, to make sure that they are fully and completely silenced. That they are gone. That they have passed away from the land. And so we have verse 14 now is um, Jeremiah's response by not responding to God. God has declared that because you have disconnected yourself from the truth, you have forced me to do this very powerful work in your midst. Because you keep putting this glossy Uh, appearance over some serious trouble and tried to make it less than it is that somehow idolatry is okay as long as it's counterbalanced by some sincere or even insincere worship Um, it's okay to worship the gods of this world as long as you do it synchronistically with the one true and living God as long as you say that that's okay you're forcing God to take action and so Jeremiah has no argument with God in this respect. He now turns to the people and places himself clearly in association with them. He does not say, why do you sit still? But he asks and involves them: why are we sitting still? Why are we allowing this? Why are we permitting um, ourselves and our our?" community of who are called by the name of the one true and living God why are we allowing this to define us that we are those who have abandoned the truth for lies so we have gone out left the one true and living God who has worked powerfully in our midst to go after these false gods that do nothing say nothing and 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 only bring misery why are we sitting still and allowing this We should rather, he says, get ourselves together, run into a fortified city, not to defend it, not to pick up the weapons, not to get ready to engage the Babylonians in battle. Um, You almost expect that to be the next phrase. He says we need to get together, we need to get into the fortified cities, and then we need to be quiet. We need to shut our mouths, bend our knees, and lay ourselves out before a holy God. The land is going to be silent because God is going to evacuate it. By death, or by being carried off into captivity, for some of the young God is going to silence the land. We have no complaint. We have no excuse. And therefore, it is necessary that we assemble ourselves, we go into a fortified city, and we sit before God in silence. Why? Because we're getting what we deserved. And the problem isn't that God isn't gracious and loving and kind. The problem is, at the end of the verse, we have sinned against the Lord. So we're, getting what we're, we're not getting into this this fortress in order to defend it. We are getting this fortress in order to humble ourselves before the Lord and say we will not guard the rampants. We are not going to take arms. We are not going to fight against what is inevitable. This is the conclusion is that we should come and pour ourselves out, lay ourselves out before the Lord and acknowledge that we are getting what we deserve because of our sin. That this is really the scalpel that begins the process of true healing. And that is a big theme in this passage. True healing begins by our acknowledgement that we have sinned against the Lord. Now we're going to talk about sins against each other and we're going to talk about other things, but ultimately all sin is against God. And this is the first truth that must be admitted, acknowledged, and And uh, God's going to call you to it. He says, you've just rejected my law. You've just walked away from it. You've walked away from all that I've given to you. You have rejected me by doing so. And so the first step back to the truth is not to engage in some battle and to try to uh, defeat the enemy. It is really to recognize that The condition of being in opposition to the truth of God is to recognize that we had a part in it. And Jeremiah himself places blame on himself. I'm with you guys. Why do we let this happen? Why are we sitting still and watching this occur? Why are we just going to almost bait God into doing it? We dare you to. Because when we do nothing, that is basically what we're inviting God to do. We're inviting God to do and to prove himself by his hand to destroy us. We've heard peace, peace, and we look for peace, but nothing came. No peace ever came. That's because it's a lie. We are told and we've been looking for health, 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 peace and health. Aren't those the two great things we all want? Peace and health. And I think pretty much every politician during this season is going to offer you those two things. Peace and health. Think about it. I mean, most, a lot of what we are expecting from our government and from the leadership in our community and ultimately from God is peace and health. They're very fundamental desires of mankind. Peace and health. And he says, we can't find any of those in our leadership. They claim to give it to us. They take our money and then tell us that there's peace on the earth or that they will accomplish peace in our time, uh, that they will care for us. And and, uh, instead we find that there is no peace and there is trouble and the trouble has grown worse. And in fact, is right on our doorstep. You can hear the horses snorting already, he says. You can feel the ground trembling. The destruction of God's promises on its way. As we've seen in other passages, the impendingness of this. And remember that his ministry is over 40 years. Where we are at in that 40 years, we can debate um, but the likelihood it is at, at this point, we're still fairly early in his ministry. Um, where, but remember that in that 40 years, for the last um, at least a dozen years of that, they're already going to be in captivity. So now we're down to about 28 years, maybe 25 years of ministry before captivity. Some would put it even less than that. Um, so he says there's an impendingness. And I say, well, if it's 20 years away. And a lot of us get to be like Hezekiah. Well, as long as there's peace in my day. Hang the next generation. And that's why we keep going back to the daughters of my people. That next generation that's going to suffer cruelly for your sin. They're already here. It's not people yet to be born. Is those who are already born, who are the daughters. They are going to suffer. And this is what's going to prompt in Jeremiah weeping and a wailing, uh, is recognize that, um, this generation is the, both the recipient of the brunt of the, of the, uh, Judgment of God, but they are also the ones who have been more, most thoroughly trained in the sin of the parents and grandparents. They've adapted and adopted it because there hasn't been anything else to give it. They have not given, been given access to the truth because their parents and grandparents have divorced themselves from the truth, so there's no truth in the land. So there's therefore no hope for the daughters. For the young there is no hope because you have taken away from them the very thing that could bring deliverance and that is the truth. And So he is going to weep and wail with an expectation that this is coming and that is the only comfort he can give himself. We come to verse 18 through verse 22 of chapter 8 and again he... (laughs) There's just a faintness, a sorrow. And he asks a series of questions. And these questions are to get us to consider our ways, to get us to grasp the depth of sin and what happens when we don't recognize truth. And we undermine it, we question it, we devalue it, and finally we just dismiss it. What happens? What's left. We have a series of questions. Begin with me in verse 19. Here's what's going to be heard from your children. The cry of the daughter of my people. Here's their question. Is not the Lord in Zion? Do you see their first question? Is not her king in her? Once you take away truth and the access to it because you have rejected it, you then take it away from even having accessibility by your children. Look at their question. The first question they have is Isn't there a God? So there isn't a God. Isn't there a, wasn't there a God in Zion? Wasn't there Jehovah there? Wasn't there a king there? Wasn't the Lord in Zion? And they are so disconnected that they, are, they ask this question Where was the Lord? Well, the Lord was there all along. That wasn't the problem. The truth was there. It stood. The problem was was the parents didn't direct anyone's attention to it because they had dismissed it in their own lives. And they had gone after lies themselves. And so they asked the question, where is it? And here's the answer. (laughs) Also in the form of a question, Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and foreign idols? Do you see how God responds? The question is, isn't there the Lord in Zion? Isn't there the king in Judah? Isn't he the God? And almost as if they are prepared to blame God for what has happened, and God's response is to say, don't you think you should have worshipped me? How can you have any position of defense when you have fully abandoned me? And this question comes forward. You provoked me. I did not provoke myself. You provoked me. And now, one of the saddest descriptions of the circumstances that Jeremiah is coming to grips with is verse 20. Perhaps one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. Harvest is past. The harvest is supposed to be a time of joy and provision and supply, abundance. This is the time when, when uh, you can now sit back and relax because the barns are filled and, and uh, the season of, of contentment should be uh, coming upon you. The harvest is past Summer's over, we come into it, and we have theoretically all of the benefits of all of the production of the fields that we can now rely on for the months to come, but instead, here's the condition. We aren't saved. We aren't. Our barns aren't filled. We aren't content. We aren't supplied. We aren't Uh, buffered against the winter months to come. We aren't saved. Whatever harvest there was, was inadequate. That all of the opportunities for it, because the summer has ended, are gone. And now you must be confronted with a winter time without any resources. You are not saved. You've not been delivered from what's to come because you have squandered the time of abundance. So we find that the Lord with Jeremiah is mourning. Mourning that they provoked him to this and mourning that they took no advantage of all the opportunities he afforded them to be saved. I sent you prophets. I sent them early. I sent them often. And throughout the summer season, the season of, of the, of planting, the season of growing, the season now of harvesting has passed and you never took hold of the opportunities I afforded you. And now you are getting ready, embracing yourself to go into captivity and destruction and you are not saved. You have not laid hold of those opportunities. You are in peril. And all there is left to do is to cry. To mourn, to weep. And to consider the hurt that you have done upon the daughter of the people. We may call them victims of their parents' foolishness to abandon truth. And truly there is a victimness there. But they have been well trained in that error and have accepted it. And so God is going to intervene. The second kind of question that reflects verse 20 again, yet takes it out of the, the fields of the farmer and puts it into the, the nursing station of the home. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? The Indication is, is there is a balm. There is a physician. And so the question of why is there no recovery um, is... Understood that the problem isn't the lack of God's provision. The problem is the lack of our reception of that provision. The balm is there. Just as the king is there. God never left. He's still the Lord. He didn't leave. You abandoned him. He didn't abandon you. The balm is still there. The salve is there. The physician is there. The healing is Available, but you did not want it. You did not lay hold of it. You did not avail yourself of it. And hence, there is no recovery. Though there is all this available, there is no recovery. And again, Jeremiah's response, chapter 9, verse 1. All I can do is weep day and night. You see, all of this tracks back to that event of dismissing the truth of God and entering into a perverse world where we deal in lies. The lie that says if you get more stuff, you're going to be happy. You're never going to be happy with more stuff, because there's always more stuff. The lie that says that you're going to entertain yourself into this wondrous state of joy. There's no joy there. Entertainment can't provide it. It can distract you, but it can't bring you joy. And there's lies upon lies upon lies, and... This is what we deal in. And we accept those lies. And there are going to be a lot of churches today, of all days, that are going to accept the lie. They're going to accept that lie. They're going to bend the knee to the God of this age um, and worship and serve that God instead of the true and living God on this day that we have in our culture set aside for worship. Does that mean there is no God, that there is no truth, there is no healing, there is no help, there is no balm, there is no physician? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just means that you would rather live in the lie than walk in the truth. And so you want to have someone come and you're willing to pay them to come and to smooth out and to say, oh, you see, it's all better Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Oh, you see, you're all better. Here, I'll rub it, and that'll make it better. My wife's brothers were a raucous bunch. And uh, as such, they had a lot of injuries. Probably the Leachmans could tell us a little bit about that, and we'll watch that in the future for them. And the one time they're horsing around, and One of the boys ends up with a broken bone. Another boy says, just lay down on the bed and be quiet. Because they don't want to get in trouble. Just lay down on the bed and be quiet. You'll get better. Doesn't work. But that's essentially what we're doing and saying to each other spiritually. And that's when it says they they, they, they heal the hurt a little, or superficially. Um, Here, I'll just... I'll just rub that now. It's better, isn't it? You know, and it's like mommy's kiss. You know, well, mommy's kiss does not heal anything. I, I hate to tell you that. Okay, you go up there. Oh, you had a boo boo. Oh, doesn't it feel better now? No, it doesn't ever feel better because you kissed it. We are going to believe that lie. I don't know any mother's kisses that have ever sealed up a cut or fixed a broken bone. Put an eye back in its socket. Doesn't work. So we hold to the lies and we say, well, uh," because we want to have this superficial healing of our soul when there is a true balm, there is the Lord in Zion, there is a physician who can really fix things and can deliver, and of all those that he delivers is the that generation that you should be thinking of, if you won't think of yourself, at least give them a chance. And for Jeremiah, he's like, okay, you guys deserve it because you've had the truth taught to you and you've rejected it. But those ones, those daughters, they didn't have a chance because you robbed them of it. So I will weep not for you, but I will weep for them. I will mourn for them because they never had a chance. Because all they knew was to go out in the woods and pick up sticks so you could come and burn some of their own siblings in the fire to a false god. That's all they knew. And we weep for them. Because the time of healing is going by and there's just wickedness And in consideration of what's coming, Jeremiah gets to the point of saying, I just want to go off and hide, because I don't want to see what God's going to be doing against you. I want to go off in the wilderness, I want to have a little bed and breakfast out there, and just put on the blinders and pretend that's not happening. But that would be no different than what you've done. That is to turn your back on the truth. The fact is that he's surrounded by adulterous people and he's got to deal with it and God's told him you're going to have to minister to them no matter how much it pains your heart to watch it happen. And now we come into verse 3 of chapter 9 we begin to see the development of what does it mean for a society once you have rejected the truth of God and undermined that, what does it do within your community of social justice? And here it goes. It says, like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies, they're a valiant... They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. They proceed from evil to evil. They don't know me. Everyone takes heed to his, everyone take heed to your brother. Don't trust any brother for every brother will utterly supplant. Every neighbor will walk with slanders. Everyone will deceive his neighbor, will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit and through deceit they refuse to know me. As I cycled around and come back, and so here's the circumstances. Now, because you have undermined truth for an entire generation, and you have divorced yourself from it, dismissed it, and, and relegated it to the history books. Oh, that's just old history, and we're too civilized, we're too modern, we're too advanced, we're too scientific for truth. And then we look around society and it says, well, how, I look at her, all these people are lying to each other. You can't trust anybody these days. Who can you trust these days? I mean, we make a joke out of it that we can't trust any politician. And it's not a joking matter. Who do you trust? We don't trust our government. I don't. I don't trust the school system. I don't trust my kids' teachers. I don't trust them. Because their mouths are full of deceit. Who do you trust? Do you trust your neighbors to tell the truth? To deal honestly with you? How many of you locked your doors out there in the parking lot of a church? Come on. Do you trust your neighbors? You don't trust my neighbors. Is that it? (laughs) So if we had church in your neighborhood, you wouldn't lock your door? Come on. You see, once you abandon the truth that God gives, now there's no foundation for honesty, for integrity, for truthfulness, for um, civilization. There's no foundation for it. And that's where we have come as a society. Is that we have so undermined the knowledge of God in his truth through his word And we have done this now for at least a generation. Um, This really occurred in my youth. And so um, I have the thrill of being born um, in 62 in June uh, when uh, prayer was officially tossed out. Yeah, that was 50-some years ago. Um, And so we have turned our back away from the truth, and then we wonder why our society is degrading like it is. Well, look at who is degrading it. We can point to the younger generation and say they have no conscience. Well, you have to have the truth to have a conscience. They have never been trained in any means of any directive to even know right from wrong because there is no truth. We demolished it decades ago in our culture. So don't sit there and be angry at the daughters and the sons. Cry for them. Weep over their ignorance and their lack of conscience. Weep for their ignorance of truth, of of even recognizing that they are sinners. Weep for them. These guys at the skate park you want to see, weep for those boys that will stand and say, I haven't done anything wrong. What have I ever done wrong? Yes, my first gut response to be angry. What's wrong with you? But what's wrong with them is what we've made wrong with them. Because we sat still and gave up the truth. We surrendered it a long time ago. And said, oh, truth is whatever you make it. Live your truth. I'll live my truth. And, you know, pretty soon no one's searching for truth because there is no such thing in their mind. Even though God is still in Zion even though there's still a balm in Gilead and a physician there, no one even thinks to go over there and look for it. Because all they're dealing with is trading in lies. There's lying in the neighborhood, there's lying in our commerce, there's lying in our religion. No one trusts anyone because everyone's deceiving everyone. They are just trying to get away with it. Look in our sports world. I mean, just conceive of a man who knows he has cheated and will lie and 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 finally, finally, years of investigation and years of him declaring that I never took any of those. Never committed any of those cheats when I won all those Tour de France's. Comes forward and says, well, okay, I did. That's not an anomaly anymore. That's the norm. And the only thing that we condemn in our day is getting caught We don't condemn lying. You don't believe me? Did you read the sports section today's newspaper, right? What's the headline? The Lobos fooled the refs, but not whoever they were playing. They got away with something. There's no interest in the truth in fairness, in justice. There's no interest in that. I have never yet been to a sports setting where people see their team get away with something and yell and scream, Hey, that was a foul! Didn't you see our guy foul him? Never seen it. You didn't call that on our guy! Never heard it. Have you ever heard of anybody No. Why? Because we don't believe in the truth. We don't really believe in fairness and justice. We don't really believe in integrity and honesty because we abandoned the truth long ago. And once you abandon the truth, now you have no premise for truth in society at all. And that's what Jeremiah saw around him. And he points to it and says, look, This is what the condition is that we all have deceit and iniquity that we are straining ourselves to do evil and going from one evil to another evil. And what is the foundational error is that they don't know the Lord because they don't want to hear the truth. And so God's going to refine them. And he calls us to weep, to wail, Because the judgment is coming. He's in a call, again, we saw in verse 17, and following the women to come and weep and wail. In the midst of this, we again have this revisiting of the fact that the wise, the smart ones, the ones you look up to, the ones that are going to give you advice, um, it says, what do they understand? If they have forsaken the law of the Lord, are they going to give you any advice worth following? No. No. I know they might be rich, doesn't mean you should follow their advice. I know they may be powerful, doesn't mean you should follow their advice. Because they're walking according to the dictates of their own hearts. And after the false gods of this world, notice in verse 14, I'm in Jeremiah nine fourteen, which their fathers taught them. We are so disconnected from truth now that there is no other way but to follow your own interests and the false gods of the lies that are out here because that's all you've been taught. And so there are no true wise men because there are none that really know the Lord. They have forsaken his law, he says in verse 13. They have not obeyed his voice they walk, in order to walk according to it. They go by their own heart. And then we say, oh, we want to follow their advice. Well, why? Because you don't think there's truth anywhere? Do you really think that you need to listen to lawyers more than you need to listen to the Lord? And yeah, I've had that happen in my ministry. Well, here's what the Bible says. Well, our lawyer says, I'm done. Bye. If you want to put your trust there instead of in the Lord, then why are you even sitting in my office? Why are you sitting in this building? But the law says, but the Lord says, but the law says, but the Lord says. When we get that into our mind, the Lord says, oh, but the financial advisors say, <laughs> well, I've had that conversation too. I was like, okay, well, goodbye. Goodbye. Go talk to them. My accountant says, oh, well, who am I to counter your accountant? This is all that Israel had to advise them. And God says, because of this, all you're going to get is bitterness. And that's when you hear the water of Gaul, water of Gaul, water of Gaul throughout this passage. It's brought up three or four times Um, He's talking about bitterness. All you're going to end up with is bitterness. You follow the advice of the foolish men of this age who have abandoned the truth of God and are and you trust them to advise you in this life, you're going to have nothing but bitterness, and that bitterness is going to be sourced in the Lord, and He's going to have cause to give it to you, because you didn't go to the Lord in Zion. You didn't look for the balm of Gilead. You didn't want the physician that is on the mountains of Gilead. You didn't want the king of Israel. You went after these and you paid for their advice. Following the dictates of their heart and their lies, you trusted in the liars instead of holding fast to the truth. And so there is nothing but weeping to be had. Summer is ended, harvest is passed, and you're not saved. The opportunities have been there. But in fact, for our children, they have not. And so we weep not for you who have rejected the opportunities, but for the children, the daughters, who are the victims. And all that's really left in the despair is to weep. And then there's this little glimmer, this little flashlight. And I hope that this is us. I hope this defines our church. I hope we are this flashlight in the midst of the darkness of despair. Chapter 9 ends this way. In verse 23, Let not the wise glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, the Lord. That I am the Lord, exercising kindness, judgment, or justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight. Yeah, punishment is coming. But there is still, even at this very, very, very late hour, there is still this call from the Lord. Get out of your ideas the wisdom of man get out of your ideas you're the might of man get out of your ideas the riches of men get those out purge your mind of these things if you really want wisdom you really want the blessing of god in your life then you're going to purpose your mind and your heart to seek after to lay hold of and to bring into your very life by your decisions the understanding of the knowledge of god that I'm going to get to know him, and you're never going to get to know him by listening to political rhetoric. You're never going to get to know him by watching football. You're never going to get to know him by going to the movie house. You're never going to get to know him um, by, by engaging in all of these other avenues. You're not going to probably get to know him by your Google searches. Unless they lead you to this book. This book. This truth. This still stands as our hope. Why do we have a club on Wednesday nights? Why don't we put all of this energy into adults? Um, frankly, um, because we cry for them. My wife and I have done a little bit of that this week. Over well, just one. We invest in them because... They are in one of the most hopeless, desperate circumstances that have ever existed on the planet. They live in a society and in homes and in schools where there is no truth. Zero. and There's one little candle in their neighborhood. They have plenty of access to pornography as young 12-year-olds on their little computer phones. But they're not accessing the truth because they don't even know it exists. And so we put out a little candle. And it's not the wisdom of man, it's not the might of man, it's not the riches of men that we offer. It is a knowledge of God that no one else is offering in their lives. No one else is giving them the truth. Everyone else is telling them what they, their own interests. And they are lying and deceiving. They are going from evil to evil. They are teaching their tongue to only speak lies. They are wearying themselves to commit iniquity. They are going out of the way to destroy these lives, even as they're their parents. And we are coming in and trying to accomplish verse 23 and 24, not to our glory, but to the delight of the Lord. Let me invest what I can of truth back into their lives. And I got to tell you, um, when I say that it's just a little candle, that's all it is. If you think two hours with our young people, um, with our, the children of this neighborhood, is enough to transform their lives, um, you have a lot of hope in a little candle heating your house. Because that's all we are. It's a little candle, hoping that a few of them will come and get warmed by it. And recognizing that many of them will fly by and say, oh, that's kind of old school that's not exciting enough there's not much of a crowd there and they drift off but we persist why because it is for the delight of the Lord And it's because we wail, weep, and cry for the daughters of our people that have no truth. It's not at school. It's not at home. It's not on their TVs. It's not in their video games. It's not in their internet. It's not on their Facebook. I visited them. I look at it of the children that have come into our club. There's only one place they're hearing truth. And it's for an hour or so here. Because we play games. That's So they only get a little bit of truth here. It's a little candle. But we do it for the delight of the Lord. And it's because of our sorrow. And we pray and we ask the Lord to magnify this little candle in their lives as only he can. That we are doing this little bit, not in our strength, not in our riches, and not in our wisdom. In fact, you might look at that and say, this is just foolishness. We are just throwing it away, and it's like, it's all we've got. And it's not because we're trusting the Lord to reap a harvest in their lives well beyond what we have sown into them and so we lather that ministry in prayer because we have hopefully a heart of Jeremiah that says we will weep for the daughters of our people that have no knowledge of the truth which is why they don't blush which is why they only speak lies because that's all they've ever been taught to speak Because all they've ever heard their parents say are lies. All their politicians lie. All of their teachers lie. All of their peers lie. And so with compassion and with understanding that this is their only hope for many of them, we will persist. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us and we thank you again for your kindness to us, to give us truth and to give us light and to give us warnings after warnings to give us all the resources if we'll simply lay hold of them and store them up in our lives. But Lord, we, like so many in that day, ignore them, dismiss them. Think they are irrelevant. There will be other opportunities. And yet, Lord, you have told us that the summer will end. The harvest will pass. And then, how will we be saved? Lord, help us to have this in our heart, on our minds, in our lives, in our ministries, that we might recognize the great need of this generation and though they don't know it, though they rebel against it, we know that they must hear the truth from someone. And Lord, our prayer is that this is a place that they all know will always stand on your truth without change. That one day they might remember and seek your truth in the midst of all the lies and despair and bitterness that surrounds them this age. And Lord, we pray you might find us faithful in your truth and careful never to consider it irrelevant, outdated, let alone undermine it in any way. Or keep us hungry for your truth. And for every opportunity we have to open this book together, to study it, to understand it that we might be saved. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.